We've done it. We've made it to volume six in our song of uh, uh, philanthropists and pedophiles series, making us officially more successful uh, and more prolific than George R. R. Martin. Um, so, yeah, we've done it, everybody. And this episode, oh, do we have a special episode? We talk toilets from a 2019 episode called Enter the Poonopticon. And then we return all the way back to our very first Thanksgiving uh, pageant extravaganza. And we talk about public health and the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. This one you're not going to want to miss. Check it out. I want to talk to you today about toilets. In rich countries, you just take the toilet for granted. It's magical that there's a sewer system bringing water in, taking away the waste, and it all gets cleaned up in a processing plant. However, for the poorest two and a half billion in the world, they don't have this. It's unaffordable. We can't build that for everyone in the world. Some of the poorest, their toilet may look like this, a pit latrine. The waste here is not processed. It's still going to get out into the community. They smell terrible. But everybody should have great sanitation. A toilet in their house that is comfortable and doesn't smell awful. It's unaffordable. We can't build that for everyone in the world. Not only is a, a toilet make your life comfortable, getting rid of that waste is key to human health. It's unaffordable. We can't build that for everyone in the world. It's unprocessed waste that causes most of the diarrheal diseases. It's unaffordable. We can't build that for everyone in the world. It ends up with lots of kids being malnourished. So how do we solve this? Basically, prior to 2006 in India, uh, I believe it was Merck or GlaxoSmithKline. I think it's Merck. They want they made this HPV vaccine that they wanted to get onto the market, right? But one of the big problems with getting drugs onto the market is that you have to go through test trials with like you know actual human subjects. Now in the West those test trials can be expensive because, you know, you're like actually responsible for hurting people. <laughs> and so, you know, it can be expensive. It can be time consuming, etc. It's very so, controlled and very careful. Yeah. For the reasons that you're giving these things that are not yet tested to actual human beings who mm. matter. Yeah. So what they did is they found some human beings who didn't matter. Uh, and that's, so that's always the trick, isn't it? Yeah. And so, again, using funding from the Gates Foundation, uh, they went to a village in rural India. Uh, they rounded up a bunch of teenage girls, 
and they just started sticking them with something. Who fucking knows what, right? To do well, some test trials. Key, what, what they were sticking with was a version of a drug yeah. that was at a stage of not having yet been tested. Yeah. And they made a choice, right, to either go through the more rigorous, slower um, steps you would have to do, say, in this country. And instead, they're like, well, we can get all the data on... what We can get a huge amount of data from going to India yeah. and basically forcibly um, inoculating people. And then, if it turns out to be a bust, if, say... We end up killing a bunch of people, and this this version of the drug has horrible side effects. Then, yeah, we will have spent a little money doing that, but not much, so we can avoid doing that with the doing the expensive version of the test that we're going to have to do eventually on the good version. But we don't have to do it seven times because if they'd done this in the United States on on a kind of crappy version that mm -hmm. say I don't know killed people, yeah, they would have. Oh, that'd be a that'd be a big loss for them. But they, if they can get a few of those out of the way cheaply mm. and then get one that works, they yeah. can then just spend the big money on that one. Yeah, and I mean, what happened is exactly what you said. They ended up killing two people, and apparently thousands of people got seriously sick uh, from whatever the hell they're doing up there, right, from this, this drug testing. Um, and what ended up happening was is you know the Indian Parliament did an investigation, and their finding was that... Uh, the group was called PATH that the Gates Foundation was funding and using to, like, you know, do this testing, right, to facilitate this testing. But the Indian Parliament found that PATH had basically lied about what they were doing. They had, uh, you know, uh, basically forced people into you either tricked or forced people into signing consent forms. In many cases, they just forged signatures on the consent forms. And they basically said it was a clear cut case of, you know, child abuse, <laughs> essentially. But the problem being, uh, the Gates Foundation is a slightly, like, amorphous thing, right? So, yeah, the Indian Parliament says it's a clear-cut case of child abuse. What are they going to do about it? Are they going to come to Seattle, right, and round up the Gateses? You know, so, again, the Foundation, they create this disaster, and they just wipe their hands of it and move on to the next place. And, and so, they've done this, things like this. They've funded mm -hmm. this kind of thing over this, and over and over again in India, in Africa, yeah, lots this, of places. This is a big function of the Gates Foundation, actually, is facilitating uh, medical experiments in, yeah, in, in the third world, essentially, so that uh, you know companies, again, like GlaxoSmithKline, Merck, etc., can get this stuff done cheaply and quickly and skirting as many regulations as they would in the and, West as and possible. It, and it serves... You know, the purpose we just discussed about getting these sort of initial trials out of the way cheaply, um, but there's other um, there's other reasons for it, uh, like there's other benefits for it for these drug companies, which is um, creating markets for these drugs that... Yeah, and that comes. Um, yeah, and that comes a little bit later, particularly the story of the HPV thing. Um, I mean, I will point out that you know I, there has been like pushback on some of this criticism that comes from, you know, say the imperial periphery about this kind of stuff, right? I mean, uh, we're getting it right now with, you know, uh, uh, native people in Hawaii protesting the building of the uh, giant telescope there, uh, where, 
there's this sort of like, oh, well, the the people, the darker skin people don't like science or some, some shit like that. Like it's some sort of, you know, we got to do what we got to do for science. Of course, we could imagine that if Bill Gates just rolled over to like Roosevelt High School in uh, Seattle and just rounded up a bunch of teen girls and started injecting them with some fucking mystery serum and, they, and two of them died, they're probably a bigger story, right? And that people probably have a slightly different opinion. So one, this kind of stuff is facilitated by like the inherent racism that is involved in imperialism and things like that. But yeah, the the marketing stuff is is interesting because that very same HPV vaccine when it became available in the US I believe in 2006. Mm-hmm. Um there was a Gardasil. giant yeah, Gardasil, yeah, they, they have such hilarious names, but yeah. uh there's a giant marketing campaign to get people to use it and you know, so they, they there was a lot of buy-in initially and then there was the medical journal papers that came out. They're basically like you know, uh, basically everybody, like every every woman at, past a certain age has like HPV or has, or has had time, it at yeah. some point, right? And that the connection between that and cervical cancer is actually like a little dubious and it's not proven and all this kind of stuff. That, there, that basically the things that Merck was claiming about this vaccine were not true, right? Now, that led to a decline. Once this information started to come out a little bit, that led to an immediate decline in the purchase of the vaccine and it had in some- the United States not super common but it had bad side effects yeah yeah could, you know yeah i mean like any any vaccine or anything like that or any medicine you take right there's you know potential side effects uh, but yeah this the, these things conspired and there was an immediate decline in the united states which led to a decline in western europe shortly afterwards so they lost market share in the west and what gates ended up doing was he used the gates foundation which by the way is like the largest funder of the world health organization and things like that. So he leveraged his position as the Gates Foundation to open up new markets for his friends in the pharmaceutical industry, particularly in Africa, you know, under his whole thing of like, look, we're just helping women in Africa by going and, you know, uh, facilitating the purchase via world health organization well, money, etc. of this was really, uh, vaccine, yeah. Um Melinda was really like no. out in front of this push as like you know, we're going to prevent these millions of women from getting cervical mm-hmm. cancer, et cetera. Yeah. And it's uh, in this has been a big thing um, with various uh, IUD birth controls and things like that that have been uh, largely rejected by women in the Western world because I- of side implanted. effects. The yeah, implanted, implanted yeah, yeah, yeah. The implanted birth control that has been largely rejected by, like, women in the West because of the side effects. Uh, you know, again, Melinda Gates taking the lead on this, but the Gates Foundation has been, you know, really pivotal, pivotal in getting those uh, markets opened up in the third world to essentially absorb that lost market share in the West, right? And, you know, some of these... Uh, Implanted birth control, you know, have they have some like pretty serious side effects. Well, they have side to effects. which Melinda Gates' response was, "But you know, women in Africa are just crying out for implanted birth control because the men there are so backwards." You know, is her essential yeah. response. You and, know. and the the effect of these things, even when they're effective, is yeah. to uh, you know render someone with a uterus uh, in uh, essentially yeah. infertile for about for five years yeah. at a time, um, yeah. which. The, you know, for some people may, that may be a choice somebody, say, in the West might want to make, but what they've done in the third world, uh, in the global south, the Gates Foundation, is push this stuff as, like, the best Mm. possible birth control and try to get this, these, you know, five-at-a-time year uh, sterilizations as, like, a first-line birth control because which essentially takes sort of the 
control over their own sort of reproductive health away from these women. Um, and, you know, which it it's not hard to look at that as uh, like fucking racist and essentially Malthusian. Well, funny you should bring that up. Uh, Bill Gates is actually a dedicated Malthusian. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, as late in the game as 2000, he was in interviews talking about how, you know, he believed in the, like, saying it, I believe in the Malthusian sort of view of population. And he would always say, particularly in, you know, in places like Africa, and he would also throw in places like Central Asia, Pakistan, et cetera, right? Um, India, et cetera, right? Uh, he has since, because Bill Gates' PR team is actually quite good, he has since kind of, like, rolled that back and he doesn't say it out loud anymore he still slips but it in comes ways, out you know? yeah it comes out here and there and uh in 2009 he actually ended up holding a secret meeting in the midst of the 2008 financial crisis uh there was a meeting i believe in new york city where he met with uh, uh one of the rockefellers i believe warren buffett and some other you know of the wealthiest people in the world and they had a meeting about their foundations, what the most important issues in the face of this international economic collapse, what are the most important issues in the world today and how should they tackle them? And, you know, some people who had let slip to the British press uh, what exactly was going on in this meeting basically said that at Gates's sort of pushing and but with all their enthusiastic agreement, they decided that uh, overpopulation was the real problem. Yeah. That the problem for environmentalism, the problem, you know, the problem with the environment, the problem with all these things, uh, was actually an overpopulation issue, particularly in the third world. Now, the irony, of course, being that the uh, carbon footprint of probably the bottom billion people on this planet is smaller than Bill Gates's personal carbon yeah. footprint. Yeah, yeah. But uh, you know that. But well, you know, that's you, you can. Well, you know, but that that's through like looking at it through a lens of climate change, right? Yeah. But this impulse, this takes mm-hmm. us back to like what class is, right? That these people can have because their mind has been poisoned by their absurd wealth. They can have these very dumb fucking ideas that they not, nonetheless believe are really serious and rational. Mm-hmm. That just happen to flatter their own sort of prerogatives, okay? So Let's go back and just talk about, you know, Malthus himself, the guy himself, uh, early 19th century, mm-hmm. sort of early industrial revolution. This guy's idea is that him and wealthy, you know, Europeans like him are looking around at uh, the po- poor people around them and going, gosh, gosh, they're people are, you know, coming to the cities. They're living like rats. They're starving. They're dirty. I don't like to look at them. I uh, can't think of any, uh, what could be the, I guess there's just too many of them. It must be that there's too many mm-hmm. of them. Not that I'm too rich and that the system that makes me rich is oppressing them. No. Then they're also looking to the empire, um, to the colonialized world, and they're looking at these cultures and societies that have been fucking ripped apart, turned upside down, reduced to poverty and servitude by colonialism and they're going like, gosh, they're living like f- fucking rats. They're mm-hmm. they're poor. They're diseased. They're immiserated. Oh, God, what could be the problem here? I guess there's just too fucking many of them. Yeah. Um, this was obviously um, just a very convenient lie then, uh, especially absurd considering how few fucking people were alive in the lifetime of uh, yeah yeah Thomas Malthus yeah Thomas Malthus yeah, yeah. Um, and. But there's a, but a very popular. I mean, mm-hmm. a very well, it's never like been a, out it's of fucking print stuck. Since the days yeah. of it's fucking yeah. stuck forever. 
yeah. with rich people. Yeah. And now, now there is a there is a new life to it now because in the age of uh climate change, there is a new version of the argument that has at least a twinge of credibility. If you start to go mm-hmm. down this road and have this conversation, it it can start to sound like maybe has at least a little mm. credibility compared to the fucking uh, 19th century um, because we're living in a time when um, one way to phrase it would be that humanity has uh, taken fucking fossil fuel out of the ground, burned carbon, sent carbon and other greenhouse gases into the atmosphere. And thus we have caused this uh, impending climate catastrophe this is the sort of simplified view summed up in describing our current age as the anthropocene right right? Mm -hmm. as if we're living in this time that should best be described by the fact that for the first time over the last like you know 150 years human beings are having a direct uh effect on the climate but of course this um uh, totally ignores any actual economic analysis. Like mm-hmm. you said, yeah. actually, there's this enormous amount of people, most of the people in the yeah. fucking world, um, account for virtually none of the energy use, virtually yeah. none of the carbon. And we in the uh, industrialized uh, uh, West, uh, the global North, we are actually... Um, putting most of the carbon in the atmosphere and then even compared to us mm-hmm. we're nothing compared to again the these fucking billionaires who are like yeah. jet setting around the world and have these massive homes on every fucking continent and uh, fucking you know yeah. massive yachts and just everything else but that still is the wrong way to look at it because you it's not it's not about anyone's individual consumption it's about mm-hmm. It's fucking capital. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's the processes of production. It's the logic of capital itself, like the logic of extraction under capitalism. Uh, I mean, even simple things, too, like the uh, the logic of everything is to be purchased, right, which involves individual packaging and stuff. I mean, like, yeah. literally, uh, there is nothing you can do as an individual to... I think Debbie Klein's got to put this, like, fairly forcefully. Like, n- that literally nothing an individual do will stop climate change. Like, yeah. you know, you, there's no practice. Which should tell you and as an American, you did as an individual <laughs> caused yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. And as an American, it's like your, you know, carbon footprint is fucking enormous compared to somebody from India, somebody from China, right? Uh, the country of China, like... You know, you know, even this is debatable, but nationally surpassed like America's, you know, carbon footprint and uh, as a nation, right? Like four years ago, China has four times the population of the United States. I mean, ours is still wildly, they're going through a major industrial revolution. We're deindustrializing and we're so wildly polluting more than they do. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it's, it's, it shows the insanity, but not necessarily even the insanity, but like I think the actual logic behind what Bill Gates is talking about, which is that, you know, the world has too many people, mainly those darker ones over there. Yeah. And this has sort of always been the logic. I mean, famously during the Irish potato famine, right? Uh, there's yeah. actually an amazing book by a guy named Tim Pat Coogan called The Famine Myth. That's actually really good on this. But, uh, you know, the famine itself was the product of an enclosure movement that the English had forced on Ireland. It was the product of a monoculture that they had forced in Ireland. And it was the product of the complete destruction of systems of community in favor of the free market 
in Ireland, right? When the famine started, the English said, well, of course the market will respond because the free market, you know, it, it, it is the best way to attribute, you know, distribute goods or whatever. The market will respond. So while people, because they had no money, because they were a colonial subject, were starving in Ireland, the British were exporting food out of Ireland back to England, right? And they said, well, you know, if the Irish wanted food, then the market should have saved them. Well, it turns out the Irish were poor. Well, yeah. (laughs) And when it didn't save them, all of a sudden it became, well, that's the market saying there's too many people in Ireland and we have to come back and reach uh, a stability, right? A holding stability for the country. And so the British sat there and literally watched, you know, a third of the population of this island die. Now, the irony of the British saying that, oh, this is just a Malthusian sort of working out of the population of Ireland was the density of Ireland at the time was probably one one hundredth oh. of England. There was already no one living in Ireland. <laughs> yeah, you know. Then after the famine, there was really you know, no one living in Ireland. And that population didn't recover till like yeah. the mid 20th century. Yeah. And I mean, it really was this I mean, complete working out of the logic that you see today of, uh, you know, the market is king. Uh, oh, it turns out the market's killing a bunch of people. Well, uh, there must be some other, uh, you know, reason in the natural world, which is the Malthusian balance, well, yeah, but, which the English then used in, in famines in India as oh, well. But, uh, yeah. yeah, it's the same, same, uh, similar yeah. stories in India over and over again into the 20th century. Yeah. Um, you know, it's important to think about this like they, it's not like um, this sort of free market argument is something that. The parliament in England and the people the who are administering, you know, colonial Ireland, like, really, you know, bought on a... They, yeah. they knew exactly what was going on. They oh, knew yeah. what would happen. But you have these... You, you have these ready-made conservative arguments, right? Mm-hmm. These arguments, these ideas, these ideologies that service capital, that's, that serve the prerogatives of the wealthy, that you can deploy... Mm-hmm. Um, to cover what you're doing, and to whatever degree different people in whatever situation they are may like rely on those more psychologically than other people. I mean, mm-hmm. but like that's how it's how people in it's how the sort of the empire could sit there and with a you know a stern face say yeah blah 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 the free market whatever mm-hmm. um, and watch people die in Ireland. Even though they knew exactly what was happening and what would happen, and it's the way that you know Bill Gates can. Mm-hmm. do the same kind of shit well when english colonists first got to the united states or what would become the united states uh there'd already been a mass native die-off caused by uh you know viruses that uh europeans had brought to the new world and so when they first arrived in the u.s like the first colonists would tell these stories of finding these just farms like huge farm like cultivated farmland and stuff like that and they said well, God has brought us this great gift, right? And then when they would meet native populations further inland, they started to notice that, wow, every native population we meet like dies immediately afterwards. And they'd say, well, God's again clearing the land for us and giving us this great land, right? And then they would, they quickly realize like, let's keep interacting with them because the more we interact with them, the more they die. And that religious logic through the age of the Enlightenment just got changed into a market logic, right? Of the market cleared Ireland, right? Yeah. <laughs> For further English investment. They would say the same thing in India when, you know, uh, I mean, India experienced where the great population collapses when the English <laughs> came in contact with them. And, uh, you know, the deeper their hooks got into India, like the worse it got. 
and they would just successive massive famines over yeah. and over yeah. for decades. Yeah, again, there's a, a book by a guy hundred fucking years. Yeah, there's a book by a guy named Mike Davis called Late Victorian Holocaust. If you ever want to read about this, that's uh, extremely depressing, but uh, it's very interesting on this. But you know, the, again, the market logic took over the religious logic of. Well, you know, uh, if they were meant to survive, the market would have saved them. So therefore, we must be reaching some sort of uh, poverty equilibrium. And if just enough Irish die or just enough Indians die, they won't be impoverished anymore like we see. They'll they'll be wealthy like us, right? They would say shit like that. Well, and think about what that, and, uh, what that logic implies. You know, it says that um, there's this finite am- amount of wealth or it where wealth is going. Mm-hmm. No, if people are poor... The that means they need more money. Mm-hmm. It's not going to fucking come from me. Yeah. So the person next to them better die so they can have theirs. Yeah. Know? Yeah. And that is the sort of heart of the Malthusian logic. And I think that is Bill Ga- when Bill Gates talks about being a Malthusian. I mean, that's what he's talking about. Is he's saying the condition of people in Africa is surely not going to get better because I'm going to take less. So therefore, there needs to be less of them, right? And that's the sort of logic. Um, and I think that is the sort of dark underbelly of the Gates Foundation's activities in Africa, why they're so obsessed with uh, curbing female birth rates and things like that, which, by the way, there's like zero evidence that that leads to uh, economic prosperity. Like all the evidence is actually the opposite direction, which is, you know, higher birth rates have actually to do with uh the economic economies, of, yeah. yeah, economies of poverty, and as you get out of those exploitative situations, birth rates then decline, right? Or as you give women things like rights and stuff, you know, and economic security, uh, birth rates decline. Uh, which, by the way, is why like the birth rate for women in the United States is higher than, say, Western Europe. Is that in a lot of ways, women have less rights in America than they do in places in Western Europe, but. You know, it's a completely backwards logic, but you'd have to have some sort of critique of capitalism, which the Gates Foundation clearly does not. Now, other things that they're doing with, you know, their foundation money in Africa, you know, they're 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 engaging in this project that you might call eugenics in Africa. But at the same time, they're also, um, you know, opening markets like we talked about. They're creating these uh, avenues for uh you know, human guinea pig testing of various medical, you know, uh, uh, you know, uh, vaccines, you know, medicines, etc. The other thing they're doing is they're actually enforcing patent law, enforcing a very American vision of how uh, uh, health uh, care should work. So in the, you know, sort of neoliberal restructuring of the third world, uh, a lot of these countries have been forced to wildly defund what were national health care systems. And then in comes the Gates Foundation, and they say, look, you no longer get to have uh, – the state can no longer set pharmaceutical prices and things like that. They can no longer get generics from other places. We're going to put you on a 20-year contract with Merck to buy this, right? And you got to buy from them their prices. Um, similarly, they engage in this process where – most of the third world, again, this is one of the things you would never know if you lived in America, but most of the third world in creating national healthcare systems tried to follow the Chinese model of, uh, which is generally called like the barefoot doctor model, but the idea of like a holistic healthcare system, right? Which is actually like a modern healthcare system, which is the idea is like, look, if people are getting uh, diarrhea and stuff, it's because we actually have to fix the water systems. We have to fix the, you know, uh, we have to get like actual toilets and things like that. Whereas the Gates Foundation, their whole thing has always been, Look, just buy a silver bullet drug for whatever illness you have. So we'll create a diarrhea vaccine instead of cleaning your water. And you just, 
you know, we'll give you the super vaccine. You can drink the dirtiest fucking water as you want. And you'll just only be kind of sick your entire life. <laughs> right. But they they've kind of pushed for this model, which doesn't actually produce very good health results. But it does like produce good profits for the companies that sell the, you know, the silver bullets. Right. Um, and so that's like the other sort of side effect that they've had in these systems. But again, it's a situation created by neoliberal restructuring that the Gates Foundation then just slides in and facilitates the extraction of profit. And that's the idea of neoliberal restructuring mm -hmm. of austerity. Yeah, yeah. These things it's are not coincidental. Open up, yeah. It's to you it's to open up markets mm -hmm. so that without I mean, that's it's to clear the way for brilliant entrepreneurs like Bill Gates to invent ways to now extract money out of the situation that was previously t uh, tied up by, you know, uh, civil society. Yeah, yeah. And uh, it also helps by, you know, relying on things like foundation money. Uh, you know, again, in, you know, countries in the third world, a lot of times the strongest unions are public sector unions and things like that. By getting away from public sector funding for these things and going to foundation fundings, it also gets away with, it gets rid of pesky things like labor unions, which again was also one of his targets with education in the U.S., reshaping education in the U.S. So, you know, the power of labor diminished, the power of capital, uh, you know, pushed forward, and the end result is uh, the wealthy get wealthier, the poor get poor. But, Again, the Gates Foundation then just comes in and says, well, I mean, this is the whole thing, too, about going from a holistic model to like a germ theory model is that, well, if you're sick and you get sick, then that's your fault. It's not our fault. It's not society's fault. It's not that the water's fucking dirty. Well, it's not because you're you know? poor. Yeah, it's not because neoliberalism destroyed like the water system or that you're poor or anything like that. It's your fault, you know, and and that, again, becomes like the recurring theme. And, and, <laughs> yeah. and just to be clear, like they had so... And if you've seen the, you know, Bill's Brain documentary, you know this, that more recently in the last decade, um, the Gates Foundation has said, oh, well, maybe we weren't doing the right things with regard to diarrhea. What we actually need is a better toilet. But yeah. what they've done there is just continue the same logic mm -hmm. of finding the what's the silver bullet thing. Yeah. You treat the symptom, not the disease. Yeah. yeah, yeah. What's the perfect toilet that also gets around us actually fixing again water systems, things like that, and or again, an it, economy, right? Yeah, it's, not, yeah, yeah. it's like if these people weren't poor, if their yeah. their societies hadn't been destroyed by colonialism, if they weren't yeah. continuing to be exploited yeah. by um, modern extractive colonialism, yeah, then those people would have the fucking money to build the, a water system. They. That's yeah. it. It's not like some mystery problem you have to figure out, you know? Yeah, and I mean, you know, that's the thing, right, is, uh, you know, for Bill Gates, what's the problem with Africa? He says that the, you know, women have too many children there. But the problem with Africa is 300 years of violent on-the-ground colonialism followed by 50 years of Cold War <laughs> colonialism <laughs> that killed as many people, uh, and then 30 years of neoliberal economic restructuring that, you know, if your country wasn't already thoroughly dismantled, thoroughly dismantled your country, right? Yeah. And now people are trying to live in the wake of that. And Bill Gates is coming in and just telling you uh, the re your problem is that you have the wrong toilet, not this history <laughs> of exploitation and violence, you know.